we started the book of Romans, the fourth chapter, and Paul began by introducing us to Abraham, and then he introduced us to David. Well, now Paul is going to make his case of salvation for the third time. This time he's going to leave David and come back to Abraham. He's going to reason with his readers that Abraham was not right with God by either works or by circumcision, but by faith and faith alone. Now, I know sometimes some say that, you know, John, you beat a dead horse to death. You keep on preaching the same thing over and over again. And I, I'm not here to say that I'm, I'm, I believe that, how do I say this? I believe Paul would do the same. And I'm, I'm not comparing myself to Paul. God forbid. No, but I'm saying I think preachers really want people to know and to hear what the Lord God is saying. And we go over and over and over it again because it is critical that you and I would have a deep, deep understanding of our faith so that nothing and no one would be able to shake us from it. And I believe that's what the Lord God is doing with Paul. I mean, we could have gone through all of this chapter in one fell swoop, but it would have really done it no justice. There needs to be an understanding of what Paul is saying about Abraham and about David, and now he comes back to speak with, with us about Abraham. David spoke of his faith through forgiveness. Verses 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. And all of this, David received this faith through forgiveness while he was under the law, while he had been circumcised. And so some reasoned of the Jewish faith that only the circumcised could expect this blessing, this, this blessing of joy of faith through forgiveness. And so what Paul does is he, he understands what's the, what's the word in the street, I guess you'd say. So Paul returns to Abraham, their forefather, to show that Abraham was justified by God long before the law was given by Moses. It is about 500 years after Abraham lived did Moses give the law. And so what we are looking at today is pure faith. But what shifts the gear for you and for me is that he adds us in now into the mix. I want you to read with me right in the middle, and we'll read it all in a moment. It says here in verse 16, it says, for this reason, it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants. All the descendants, all of us who come to the Lord God Almighty by faith, just like Abraham. And so, in essence, this is perhaps one of the most important messages I will ever give to you. And that is that you and I are now incorporated into this wonderful, wonderful issue of faith. We're going to read Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 17. And Paul's going to demonstrate three very wonderful re related truths concerning salvation, forgiveness, justification, just as if I'd never sinned, and righteousness, being declared righteous by God. Verses 9 to 12 shows us that Abraham's salvation did not come because he was circumcised. No, he was circumcised. Before, he was not circumcised at that time. 
Verses 13, 14, and 15 show us that his faith did not come by keeping the law or by working either. Rather, verses 16 and 17, which is the key, the very heart of this message, it came solely by the grace of God Almighty. And Abraham's faith was not in his faith. How have I said that before? Abraham's faith was in the coming Messiah. You and I look back. Our faith is in the one who died on the cross for our sin. The baby who we are going to celebrate this month. Already it's December. Can you believe that? The baby who was born in a manger. The one who went to the cross and and died for our sins. Shed his blood for the sin of this world. And also raised himself from the dead. So that you and I might know that we have everlasting life. Read with me, please. Verses uh, 4, excuse me, verses 9 through 17 in chapter 4. Is this blessing then upon the circumcised or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say, faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it reckoned? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Paul answers, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be reckoned to them. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. For the promised Abraham, or to his descendants, that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, then faith is made void. The promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but while there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace, in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, A father of many nations have I made you, in the sight of him who believes, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Let me tell you something. This gives me chills down my spine. Every time I read this, every time I've studied it this week, it, it, I get chills down my spine. This place is incredible. Paul begins by explaining, just dynamic, just showing us beyond any question that, that it's nothing with circumcision and nothing with being uncircumcised. It's all about faith. And he gives faith in accordance to using Abraham as our example, who is the father of, of, of us all. All of us who come to Jesus Christ by faith. What a great message for Christmas. This, this, I would almost wish this was Christmas Day so I could give this particular message. It is just incredible, but there is more good ahead, I'm certain. Let's just deal with this. Father, please open up our eyes. Thank you, Father, for, uh, 
for uh, Brian and for August of, and for Casey and, and his lovely wife Natalie and, and how beautiful they sang not just that song but all the songs but in particular the song about Emmanuel God with us this time of this year Father we celebrate the birth of your son and it is a glorious glorious time for us as believers I pray for other people that don't know you Father that, th that you might quicken their hearts to, to want to know that something might happen during this season that would bring them to a, a church that teaches the word and they may hear the very essence of of faith in Christ and He alone. And so bless us, Lord. Uh, as we read these words, would you open up our hearts and our eyes and our minds so that we might behold wonderful things from your law? And would you move me aside, Father, so that I do not hinder this wonderful place in Scripture? Let us, by, uh, by your grace, let us hear the heart, heartbeat of Paul who wrote these words and more importantly, of you who gave them to him. Let us hear from you. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If I forget at the end of this message, I want to tell you how much I love you. It is just a privilege. And having church on Sunday morning, it just can't get any better. It just can't. I'm really pleased to be here. Well, in verses 9 through 12, Paul is going to teach us that neither Abraham nor anyone else was saved or received forgiveness through circumcision. Here's what Paul anticipated, and it was true. He anticipated that the Jews were going to ask, well, if Abraham was justified by faith alone, then why did God come afterwards and demand that we be circumcised? What's the deal with circumcision? You see, most Jews at that time going into the church were convinced that circumcision was the unique mark that set them apart from all other people. After all, they were God's chosen people. And so they were asking the Gentiles who were now coming into the church that you've got to be circumcised. Because they were treating that like some wrongly treat baptism today. There's nothing wrong with being baptized. It is a glorious and wonderful experience that, that we all ought to, to have. But baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is simply a, a, a sign, if you would, like here, or a, a seal, which is a promise from God. It is an outward expression of what we have believed and felt within our hearts. And they were taught, they being back in Rome, wrongly, that circumcision was the means by which they would acquire eternal life. Many a rabbi wrote and taught that no circumcised Jew will ever see hell. Well, that wasn't true, and Paul is trying to just knock that out. Stop that thought. This belief concerning circumcision was so strong in Judaism that this Faith ideology was brought into the church early into Jerusalem when they started the church there and now in Rome. And Paul had taught, we already know, we, we saw in chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, Paul said. No, he says, nor is circumcision that which is outward of the flesh. Uh-uh, no. He says the person who is a Jew is the one who is a Jew inwardly. And circumcision, he says, 
is that which is of the heart. That's where we become circumcised, so to speak. And so Paul warned his fellow new Christians, these converts, Jew and Gentile alike. He said in Galatians, no, excuse me, Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, he says, beware of the dogs. In other words, those who are going to teach you false doctrine. Beware, he says, of the evil workers. And then he added, and beware of the false circumcision. He says, for we are the true circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in our flesh. So, in verses 9 and 10, Paul shows that Abraham was justified or saved before the law was given and before he was circumcised. So, it says in verse 10, how then was this righteousness that was given to Abraham in verse 9, how was it accredited or reckoned? That was a a legal term. How does he have this state of being while he was circumcised or when he was uncircumcised? Which was it, Paul's asking? And then he answers, not while he was circumcised, but while he was uncircumcised. And with this statement, Paul nullifies the thought that Abraham was righteous through circumcision or anything else besides faith. And that's his point. Paul reasons that, that, that Abraham had already been declared righteous by God way before he was circumcised, some 500 years before. Further, Paul reasons in Galatians chapter 5 that if a person trusts, if you want to trust in, in this case it's circumcision, but it could be anything else, anything else that, that you think needs to be added to, to make you right with God, He says to do so will nullify the work of Jesus Christ. Listen, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, listen, it was for freedom that Jesus Christ set you free. Therefore, he says, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. In other words, don't fall under some sort of something that you have to do so as to be right with God. Behold, he says in verse 2 of Galatians chapter 5, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, in other words, if you receive something that's going to be a, that you think is going to be a benefit for your salvation, Christ, therefore, he says, will be of no benefit to you. In other words, if you think that circumcision or works or anything else will save you, then he says you're on your own. Christ is out of the picture. In fact, listen to the words he uses here. Verse 3, he says he'll be of no benefit to you. Verse 3, and I testify again to every person or every man who receives circumcision, that is to be saved. Or in our case, if we said to you, you've got to be baptized. Unless you're baptized, you can't be saved. Unless you're a member of this church, you can't be saved. Unless you are this, that, or the other, you can't be saved. That's wrong. It's all about faith. It's a personal faith that you have. In Christ Jesus, your Lord. And so he says, if you receive circumcision, then you are under obligation to keep the whole law. Well, what did we, what did we learn about that? You keep says you keep the whole law, and yet you stumble in one point. What happens? You're guilty of... Thank you. You guys are so... I love you. 
I do. I love you very much. Or maybe I've said it way too much. <laughs> and, you, and all of a sudden, yeah, we know, John, we know. We, we knew you were going to say that. So you're under, you're under obligation, it says in Galatians 5, 3, to keep the whole law. But listen to verse 4. Therefore you have been severed from Christ. In other words, he can't help you anymore. You don't want that. If you are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace, God's unmerited favor. I guess you can see how serious that is. Simply put, Paul is saying that nothing, nothing, folks, can save you except faith in Christ alone. Do not expect anything or anyone else to save you. That's what Paul is nailing for us, trying to make us understand how free we are in Christ Jesus and how, how much, I'm, I'm, I'm betting, betting is probably a bad word, but I, I'm, 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 I'm thinking he's doing this to, to just to set you free so that you can, you can just be liberated in your faith. So Paul's been saying Abraham's faith accredited to him, it was a legal term, reckoned to him as righteousness. Verse 11 then says that God gave two things, a sign as well as a seal that Abraham received while he was uncircumcised. Verse 11, let me read it to you again. He received a sign of circumcision and a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised. That so that he might be, here's we're included, the father of all who believe. That's you and me. In other words, every time a circumcision was performed, the people were to remind themselves of God's grace upon their lives. When we are being baptized, that's one of the major things we, we, we mention as a person is being baptized. It, it's, not, it's not something that, that will will make you more saved. It's just an outward expression of who Jesus Christ is within your life. It is, it is his seal. It is his promise. A sign and a seal, by the way, conveyed very similar ideas, but there was a strong difference between the two of them. A sign is something that points to something. A seal guarantees, promises it, just as it said in verses 13 and 16. And so in verses 11 and 12 informs us that Abraham was not just the father of the Jews, but he was the father of all who would believe, all Christians. Now the second point is that this faith did not come by keeping the law. The promise, verse 13, the promise to Abraham and to his descendants was that he would be the heir of the world, not through the law. No, he was going to be the heir of this world through the righteousness of faith. In other words, the promise that God made to Abraham was a promise that was to be carried on throughout his life, through faith, not the law. The promise involved a land that the Lord was going to give him, people, so many that they would be like the stars in the heavens, a blessing that they would bless people and the people would bless them, and ultimately a Redeemer, the Messiah, would come through their line and save them. Watch what Paul says about this promise. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, he writes these words. The Scripture, in other words, this. But he's talking about Old Testament. 
the scripture, he says, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. This is Galatians 3.8. In case, is it up there? Yeah. Galatians 3.8, I guess. It says, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, watch now, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying that all the nations will be blessed in you, which led Abraham to say, as we mentioned last week, remember Abraham is taking Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. He's taking Isaac up to the mountain to be sacrificed. He's going up to make a sacrifice unto the Lord, and Isaac, who is a teenager, I believe, about that time, looks at his dad and says, Dad, may I see the wood? May I see the fire? Where's the lamb? Remember what Abraham said to him? You see, Abraham already had the gospel preached to him. He has, as it says in, uh, in Galatians 3.8, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Abraham knew it all. He knew that there was going to be a coming Messiah. So what does Abraham say to his son Isaac? Isaac, he says, God is going to provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. See, that gospel has already been preached. Abraham knew exactly what you and I was experiencing to some degree. I'm, I'm certain he didn't know it all, but the gospel was preached to him so much so that he was assuredly said to his son, Son, don't worry. God's going to provide for himself a sacrifice. It's wonderful. Just wonderful. Then it goes on to verse 14 in, in Romans chapter 4. If those who are of the law are heirs. In other words, if you want to be an heir and you want to work your way there, then faith is made void. And the promise... This promise is nullified because, it says in verse 15, the law brings forth wrath. It's what I've been saying week in and week out. I said to you, if you read this, the Word of God, and you start feeling really good about yourself, the Bible is really making you feel like you're a good person, you've misread it. It's, you've, you've got to reread it. It's, it's not been written so as to make you feel good about yourself. The Bible was purely given to you and me so as we would have instructions on how to live our lives and to see that we are hopelessly lost without a Savior. It's, so it would bring us. It, it, it mentions in Galatians that the Bible is our tutor. It, it's, it, it teaches us and, and brings us to faith in Christ. That's what the Bible is for. And so he says, but where there is no law, there is no violation. In other words, if, if only through the law that we become heirs of the kingdom of God. In other words, we can work our way then. We can, we, we can work our way. I'm excited. We can work our way to heaven. Then faith becomes empty and useless. And the promise that God made to Abraham that God would provide for himself a sacrifice has no effect. Remember what, what, remember what Paul said in, in, in Romans 3.20, because by the works of the law, he said, no flesh is going to be justified in God's sight. Because, he says, through the law only comes the knowledge of sin. Paul is making a strong, strong point, stating the effect of the law will only bring forth God's wrath. And if salvation is through the law, then you and I have no hope because he's already taught us in the third chapter that none of us are righteous, not even one. And so we cannot possibly, by means of being justified, 
make ourselves right with God. Only thing that comes to those people who want to work their way to heaven comes God's condemnation and His wrath. That's why we preach so hard at you here. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Then in verse 15, Paul expresses his point to say, where there's no law, there's no sin. Well, basically what that is saying is, you, you've heard this statement, everybody does what is right in their own eyes. You know, Have you not ever heard someone say, what in the world, you Christians, you're trying to move yourself into our bedrooms. What we do in the privacy of our own room is our own business. You know, to me, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I'm, I'm saying if, if a person is, is, is bent on just going their own way, then after, even the Lord says, you know, after you share with them and they don't hear it, then, then dust your feet, dust the, dust the dust from your feet and, and, and move on. Find someone else. Find someone else. But no, we live in a time where people want to say everybody can do what is right in their own eyes. And, and I know you've heard this before. There are many roads to God. No, there isn't. No, there isn't. But it makes us sound like we're elitists. It makes us sound that we know something they don't know. But the truth of the matter, there isn't many ways to God. God has made it crystal clear. There's only one way to Him. And that's through His Son. That's it. There are not many ways to heaven. But people want to say that there is. And so where there is no standard, in other words, when people don't understand the Word of God, then they can make up their own religion. They can. I've talked to people before. They said, well, you know, I don't believe in all of this. And I said, well, then, do you think it's going to rain this week? And they said, what do you mean it's going to rain this week? I said, we might as well talk about the weather. Because you're making up your own thoughts upon what's godly and what's not. What's the rules? Where do you set your standard? How do you know? Well, I just know. I'm a spiritual being. Okay, good. Do you think it'll rain? Snow? What? What's What's the sense of discussing anything we can make up our own mind about what we want to believe. Do whatever is right in your own eyes. And so he says there, where there is no law, there's no standard. Therefore, get to the end. Get to the real meat. Verses 16 and 17, Paul clearly teaches that salvation or forgiveness, justification or being declared righteous comes solely by God's grace, God's unmerited favor. And it comes upon a person's faith in the coming Messiah. Verse 16 and 17, please let me read it to you again and please listen. For this reason, in other words, Paul's making his point, for this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, that's God's unmerited favor, so that the promise might be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And then he writes, it is written, and I'll tell you about that in a moment. Let's just look at verse 16. Verse 16 is the very heart of this passage. It says that God reckons or credits or a legal term gives to our account faith. And he therefore declares you and me righteous in order that we might be saved. It's all in accordance, as you'll note in verse 16, accordance to God's grace. We have nothing to do with it. If it wasn't for His grace, then our faith 
could not save us. In other words, our faith has to be in him. You can't have faith in anything or, or, or whatever you choose. Your faith cannot be in your faith. Your faith has to be in the Messiah. It has to be in Jesus Christ. So that you can receive the promise, the grace, God's unmerited favor that he wants to give to us. Faith as some theologians teach, is a, another form of works. In other words, you have, to, you, have to, you have to have faith, and faith is a sense of works, and that's not at all true. Faith is, is trusting in what God said. Oh, I'm going to show you about Abraham in a second. But Abraham just believed. You know, when, when God came to Abraham and said, I want you to leave Hanan, hey, hey, and, 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 and I want you to go off and to be, make a great nation. He didn't tell him where he was going to go. He didn't take, tell him how long it was going to take. He didn't tell him anything. And Abraham just believed God and he went. And then later in Abraham's life, God came to him and says, I'm going to give you an heir, a son. That'll be, that'll, you'll have descendants more than the stars in the heaven. And Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. And he didn't say that's not, you're at the wrong door. You're, you're, it's passed us by. He just believed God. You see, grace, God's unmerited favor, is the divine power that brings forth faith, that brings forth salvation. Look again at verse 16. It all might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, to all of us. We are, we are a part of Abraham's heritage. Abraham was the spiritual prototype, if you would, of every genuine believer. Because Abraham did not trust in his own efforts. He did not trust in, where am I going, God? How am I going to do this nation? Do I need a, a, a team of people? What do I need? Do I need a committee? How do I get there? He just went because God said to him, go. And so he trusted, not in his own efforts. He trusted in God's gracious promise and grace. And now, as always... By the way, when Abraham, in verse 16, became the father of us all, that is, all who trust in, in our Lord, and that, that made Abraham's faith universal. It's not just for a few select, selected few people. It's universal. It applies to all mankind, Jew and Gentile alike, regardless of your racial background, your religious heritage, it matters not. And so Paul's defense is scriptural. He says, as it is written in verse 17. He refers back to Genesis chapter 17, verse 5, where, 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 where God told Abraham, a father of many nations have I made you. The promise of Abraham was fulfilled in the sight of him in whom he believed, even God, verse 17. Now lest there be any doubt upon upon which God Paul was speaking about. He gives two wonderful qualifications. First, he says in verse 17, this God is the one who gives life to the dead. Well, we look at Ephesians and tell, say, while well, we were yet dead in our sins, Christ made us live together. But the greatest example is Easter, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He gives life to the dead. 
Secondly, verse 17, this God is the one who calls into being that which does not exist. And of course, that takes us back to the very creation of this great world. We can go to Genesis 1.1, but, but uh, the, 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 the verse I would love to read to you is out of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. It says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. God created all of this out of nothing. Don't think about that too long. You'll get a tremendous headache. It's just, it's beyond it. When you think of the vastness of this universe, when you think of, of all of this and that our God holds it all in the palm of his hand, it's, it's beyond me anyways. And when I read something like this, when he's made all of us, all of this out of things which are invisible, it is this God whom we love and we worship. This is the one that was laying in the manger, you know. That's why I think people are so against... No, I don't know why people are so against Christianity and the manger scene and all that. Except I think they're trying to just destroy this great nation of ours. Because we were built on Judeo-Christian values. And so they try to take out the very essence of our faith, and that's Jesus Christ. Listen, they can jump and shout and take every manger scene out of every place in the whole world, wide world. Doesn't, it, it won't bother us a bit. Because what we have isn't out there on the streets. It's in here. It's right in here. And what Paul is doing in this place in Scripture is trying to solidify that in you so deep, so strong, that nothing, nothing will ever shake you. That you will find your joy in whatever circumstance you find yourself. Father, we, uh, we are a privileged people. Uh, by that, I, I mean, Father, we get to know you. We are a church that, that, that doesn't want to compromise on that at all. In fact, we're at a church that insists upon it. Thank you for that. We're in a church that doesn't want our ears tickled. Um, we go through the scriptures line upon line, and sometimes that's not easy. We come across difficult passages, and sometimes it takes time. But we've got plenty of time. We've got an eternity. Can't wait to hear what is going to be said once we get to be with you in heaven. Can't even imagine. I wonder if you'll let Natalie sing Emmanuel when we're there. <laughs> Whatever, Father. We'll be content. We thank you for this place that you allow us to meet for this time. We pray that it is sufficient for us and that if you have another place down the road that you'll let us know. And that, Father, we will be, we will be faithful to follow your hand regardless. And so, Lord, bless us, please. Thank you for the music we had. Thank you for our chance to give financially to keep us going. And thank you for the word. In each case, we worship you through our singing and our giving and the study of your word. Bless, Father. Bless, please. In Jesus' precious name.